You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Church, well, last week we... Uh, we, we began the first of two weeks on giving money and stewardship, and I made a comment there that if you're new among us, well, we, we don't speak about this every week, but we're not ashamed to speak about this important area of discipleship. We're so aware that, that it's, a, it's a huge area of, of our hearts and our lives, whether we get this right. I've got to say personally, I, I've been slightly undone in the service this morning during those two amazing songs that we sang at communion, my, my all-time favorite, if I was to have one song for the rest of my life, it would be When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I, I find it matchless. And uh, it comes to that final verse, were the whole realm of nature mine. It were an offering far too small. Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's my testimony. That's I've come to know Jesus on the cross, the savior of the world who laid down his life for me. And I'm trying to live and shape out my life in response to that, giving everything I've gotten. So, and then we move into that second song, I, I take the bread of life. And just, I'm personally a bit undone here today. But you know, as we come and speak about giving, I'm aware sometimes it can cause people to tighten up. And I'm, I'm just completely undone. I'm saying, Lord, you know, we've got no, nothing to respond here other than to say, Lord, it's all yours. It all came from you. It's all yours. God, how can we ever, Lord, repay your matchless death on the cross? And Lord, I, I don't believe you're even after our money, but Lord, how can we come and withhold anything when you gave everything? So God, come and be in our midst as we, as we try and align ourselves to your word and your ways. Amen. Amen. Last week we looked at the principle of first things. And if you're away, I'd invite you to catch up on the podcast. I believe this is such an important principle in our lives. And, you know, I, I, we took some time last week working through some of the principles of Scripture, how we find a principle of first things it, it, early on in the Old Testament, way before the law, and then somehow it's articulated in the law, and then Jesus comes saying, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law, and, and he speaks in such a way that we found what, what was once the ceiling has become the floor. And I'm aware, you know, not everybody needs that. I spoke to a lady one time. She said, you know, I was, I was wrestling. This is years ago. She said, I was wrestling over tithing. And, you know, somebody said to me, you're wrestling over tithing. Just give in. Give in. Stop fighting God. Do what he says. And she said, and I never look back from that moment. I know some people, it's just, you just need to be told something. But for others to work through, understand the principle, which is why we took some time Last week. Today, the title of my message is Getting Giving Right. Getting Giving Right. And I'd like to look at how we can get this important area of our lives right. You know, one of my life statements is God's ways work. God's ways work. Who can testify that God's ways work? You know, that's, that's the story of my life so far. The, the reality is, like probably all of us, at times I've stepped into His ways, I've sought to respond. To, to his teaching, to his word, and I found that they work. What the Lord 
puts as a blueprint for how we are to live. If we live according to those things, I know sometimes it can be incredibly tough. It can be challenging. It can demand our faith. We can find we have to do things that, that, are, that hurt at the time. But in the fullness of time, sooner or later, we find that they work. Those, his principles work. He is the creator of our lives. And so his blueprints work. And also, at times, I've, I've maybe resisted and fought. And I've tried to do things my own way. And I find that actually they don't work. Hello? God's ways, they work. In pastoral ministry, you see this regularly, and often the only advice we can give people, often say, look, we're not, we're not experts in everything. Now, many of you think that if you're a pastor, you've got to be an absolute expert in everything. I'm an expert in very, very little, other than to point you to the one who is the expert in everything. We're just a signpost some of the time to saying, I don't know what to say other than trust God, do it his way, and you'll find that it works. And I know that in the area of of giving. This is so true. It's so true. His ways, Isaiah speaks to us, chapter 55, saying, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And how we handle money is such a key area. Getting giving right was such a journey for me to go on. I mentioned in our second service last week how growing up as a boy, I've got one sister. She's a wonderful human being. And she was born with a generous disposition. And uh, I, I was not. And uh, I remember growing up, she always outgave me on every occasion. It was incredibly annoying. Um, but I was, uh, I was kind of born tight-fisted. And uh, I had to learn. I had to learn. But you know what? When I came to Jesus at the age of 17, he started to do something in my heart. I, I, so probably in this area of my life, as much as anything, I, I've seen the outworking of John 15 remain in me and I'll remain in you. Apart from me, you can do no good thing. But if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. And this idea that we're grafted into him, and as we're grafted him, that we don't, we don't have to strain at anything other than remaining in him. As someone once said to me, keep the remain thing the main thing. And as we do that, we'll find that we change. And I, I found that I was changed from the inside out. I didn't I didn't change over in response to the preaching of a particular message. I found as my life became wrapped up in him, I became different. My heart became different. As someone once said, we're, we're never more like God than when we give. As we heard in communion, Kim leading us, for God so loved the world that he, that he gave. And something started to change in me, and I began to learn generosity. We also had to learn to step out in faith, and it's been a great journey for us. As a teenager, becoming a Christian, I had been motivated by money. I was, I was due to go to university, which I, I did do to study law, but my motivation in law as a career is that I wanted to earn a lot of money. I wanted to go and work in the city of London as a commercial lawyer and become a partner by the age of 30 and earn a million pounds a year. That was my dream. I remember going to a careers fair and, and trying to, I just worked out who got paid the most and that's what I was going to go after. It was kind of doctors and lawyers, but I was a bit squeamish, so I'd say, it's going to have to be lawyers. <laughs> but then God got hold of my heart and got hold of my life and began to transform me. And I'm so glad because he freed me from something that was driving me that at the end of the day is, is really, what is it? We can't take anything with us when we go. And over the last two years, we've, we've been on a fresh journey of faith. We've been on this road a long time now, trusting God with everything. 
But the last two or three years, you know, the Lord's stretching us and, you know, we've, we've been giving between 20 and 30% of our income away each year and it's been such a journey of faith. He stretched us, as the Bible says, beyond our ability and yet he somehow has made it possible and it's been incredible, forces us into that place of dependency. But I also... I've come to realize that in this area, we have to overcome a number of barriers. And I want to journey through five of these barriers today. The first barrier that I'd like us to consider is the issue of ownership. Can we say that together? There's an issue of ownership. If we're going to get giving right, there's an issue of ownership. Whose who's money is it anyway? You know, is it actually that it's all mine and, and, and the Lord is asking me to give some of mine? Or, or uh, Well, mm, it's interesting, isn't it? The, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything, and, and everything in it. I don't, some of you will remember the journey with the, the Techno Center car park. And we, we so needed that car park. And we were told we definitely couldn't have it. And, but, but we said, Lord, the, the, uh, the earth is yours and everything in it. Therefore, that's your car park. I remember he, he turned it around supernaturally. He went, yes, because it's all the Lord's. It's not the universities, it's the Lord's. You know, we can, it, it's really great. I remember we rejoiced and we danced and we celebrated because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's easier when it's somebody else's, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like, the, you know, every, Jack's, everything that Jack has, everything he earns, it all belongs to the Lord, isn't it? And what about you? Well, I'm okay, not so sure about that. It's easier to believe it for Jack. The issue of ownership. Matthew 25, Jesus speaks about the kingdom and about judgment and about how we're going to live, how we treat the poor, how we deal with what's entrusted to us. Brings us a parable. It says this, breaking in at verse 14, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, notice this, his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought another, the, the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man. Interesting. Was he a hard man? Harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And if you read on, you'll find it didn't. And so well for that final servant. Now it's a parable. Of course, it could mean so much more than money. It, it, but there's a clear picture that Jesus is painting here. He's not long 
to go to the cross. And he's speaking about judgment. He's speaking about how we treat the poor. He's speaking about our readiness. And he's speaking about what is entrusted to us. And he's saying we're entrusted many things. And, but the master will return and inspect what was his. That, that what was his he gave to us. And of course it could mean much more than money. It could mean our, our gifts or our position, our, our talents, anything. Our, our time, how we use these things. And yet it's not unreasonable to think it could also include our money. And we have to understand, he says, he entrusted his wealth to them. As Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. We brought nothing into the world. We'll take nothing with us. Probably heard the story of the, the funeral of the, the wealthy person where a distant relative said, and how much did she leave? And the answer came, everything. Everything. And we're entrusted, we're stewards. And the day we come to see that we are merely stewards and trustees of what he puts in our hands, the better. His wealth. I remember when I learned to drive, I was allowed to borrow my mum's car. In fact, I started to use it more than she did. And yet, I was painfully aware it was not my car, it was my mum's car. And so I, I drove it in such a way that, that I, I was conscious to look after it. I didn't want to get caught speeding. I, I didn't want to crash the car because actually it wasn't my car. I had to keep it clean because actually she might want to go in it and it needed to be looked after as if she was looking after it. She also ultimately had a call on it. If she needed it one day, then it, she could have it. Why? Because it wasn't my car, it was her car. Now, I don't believe we should become paranoid about what we spend, what is entrusted to us on, nor feel bad about spending money on ourselves, so long as we can view that anything we have ultimately comes from his hand. And it could be an issue, an issue of ownership we have to overcome. And when we come to that place, it frees everything up. It's a starting point to getting giving right. The second thing we may have to overcome is what I'm going to call the problem of mistrust, meaning with what we are giving to. See, for me, in my giving since I became a Christian, this has actually never been an issue for me. See, my, my giving has always been rooted in obedience. It's been a response to the Lord, actually. If the Lord asks, asks us to give, we give in response to him. And how well it's managed is not actually my issue. But I can understand that some people might be loath to invest or give if they aren't confident about the person they're, they're giving to, the person receiving the gift. I find it interesting in, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you want to understand more about a New Testament perspective on giving, I'd really encourage you to read and, and better still to study 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 because there's a portion where Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth about their giving and touches a number of areas in this. He urges them to excel in the grace of giving. He, he urges them to, to give in faith to be faithful, but also in the midst of it, he speaks about those that are going to receive the gift, actually financially, because he's sending Titus and he's sending two other brothers with Titus. And it's interesting that he's at pains to spell out that these are people of character. He's at pains to say that, that how this money is going to be looked after when they hand it over, it's going to be well stewarded, that, that these are trustworthy people. It says this in chapter 8, 
19 to 21. What's more, he, speaking of Titus' companion, was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. We are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. It's really interesting that that matters for Paul to, to say that. And of course, there are a lot of causes that we can give towards, and I'm sure many of us do. But one key area of our, our giving and your response to these two weeks may well be to invest into God's house here at CLM. And over the last few years, around September time, we've run what we call a finance update evening. And it's been like a 90 or so minute presentation on our governance, on on our income, on our expenditure, the books are opened, uh, the mortgage, the staffing, there's a chance for questions and answers. And uh, there's just a talk a bit about the vision and the ministries and where we're headed. And it's just the, the sense of wanting to be fully open and accountable and say, look, he, here is this, this is, there's no closed shop here. It's been interesting because as we've done that every year, people have said to us, you should say more about this to the whole congregation. But we kind of been, well, we, we don't want to take 90 minutes on a Sunday morning to do this and turn our worship service into an AGM. And yet, it's interesting because people speak about the integrity of the team and the professionalism of the team and the good handling of the church accounts. They say, you should, you should tell people. So we're, we're trying to listen. I've not done this before. It's going to take a minute to talk about how things work here. As Paul says, well, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also the eyes of man. So if you didn't know, we, we have an amazing finance team, which is Matthew Davis, our general manager, Gary Rock, our finance manager, Beatrice Moriuki, who are all accountancy qualified, who are all significantly experienced and supported by Anita Fox, who is a highly experienced bookkeeper. And these are the people who handle the money. They're part of the staff team here and also for our trading subsidiary. And literally every penny to, to, the, to the penny of income and expenditure is accounted for. There are robust processes and procedures every step of the way of handling and reporting the church's money. There are spending thresholds for every staff member and safety procedures where two signatures are required or sign-off is required. And every month, detailed financial reports of every penny are reported to the board of directors. And, and the board of directors, you can see there's, there's myself and, and Matt Davis, who are, we're, we are part of the staff team, and then four independent directors, James Ombudo, Oliver Harmer, Matt Baines, and Dave Bolton, and uh, James and Oliver and Matt, committed members of the church here. Dave was part of the church uh, team here for nine years and leads the church in Leamington Spa and comes as an independent to come and help us on our board. They are committed people. And any questions on the finance can be asked by any member of the board, and regularly they are asked in our monthly meetings. And each year, in line with the vision overseen by the elders, which is the spiritual governance, it's the the legal governance, the spiritual governance, myself and Esther Donald, Brown Mark, Ryan Orms, and Tony Williams. The, the, the board signs off a budget to help the vision move forward. We currently have 18 different members of staff. Most of them are part-time. A few are full-time. Incredibly hard-working people. 
Salaries are set by a remuneration committee. And if there are any conflicts of interest, that person leaves the room to allow totally free discussion by the others. And the annual reports of those monthly accounts that come together, they're independently audited by our accountant, Smith Cooper, who come and literally sit in our offices for a few days and can open any book and ask any question until they're fully satisfied that everything is in order. And then they sign them off and they're submitted to the charity commission and filed online. And like Paul, I want to commend these people to you. They're hardworking and work with the utmost diligence. I'd happily vouch for not only their exceptional competency, but more importantly, their character and integrity. And as you leave the room today, we're, we're going to give you a, just a, a little simple leaflet about giving, and it includes within there our budget for the year, and also ways that you can give, and a bit about our governance. You can ask any of us at any time, any question you want about our giving. We might not be able to answer you on the spot. You say, how much did that light cost? I don't know. But I can find out for you. To the penny. And if it matters to you, I'll, I'll find out and I'll come back to you. Just any of us, any questions? And later this year, we'll hold a finance update evening. And today, Matt Davis, who's our general manager, he'll be available at the back of the room if you've got any questions, if you want to meet up. We'd hate to think that the problem of mistrust would, would prevent us from getting giving right. But thirdly, we also have to overcome the limitation of perspective. And I'd like us to turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn there to Matthew 6. We're going to be in this portion of Scripture for the remainder of our time. So you can pull it up on your device or stick a finger in your Bible. Jesus here is laying out his manifesto. It's the Sermon on the Mount. He's at the start of his ministry. He's speaking about what it means to be a follower. And he says this, among other things, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And in the NIV, there's a footnote that many commentators would, would also speak about, which is the, the original word healthy implies generous and the word unhealthy implies stingy. What, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying invest in what will last beyond you. Invest in, in what will last forever and do so generously. It will bring light into your life. And certainly that's been my journey, my experience. It, it took me a while, I've got to admit, from becoming a Christian to understand that I had the opportunity to invest in something that was eternal. You see, the kingdom is eternal. You see, when I, when I, when I buy things, they'll perish. They'll stuff perishes. You know, it either literally wears out or, or it kind of becomes out of date and obsolete. But when we invest in the kingdom, it lasts forever. The possibility of eternal worth kicks in because ultimately, when we give towards kingdom causes, lives are transformed. And lives that are transformed are transformed forever. They go on into eternity. And also we enter the power of multiplication because transformed lives transform lives. 
This is why Jesus is speaking of the kingdom and, and he speaks about the seed and he speaks about yeast because he's saying, well, when, when the kingdom is at work, it, it becomes untrackable. It, it works like a seed multiplying. It works like yeast in a batch of dough. You can't see it, but it's, it's working because transformed lives transform lives. About 30 years ago, some people would have invested in an evangelist called J. John to allow him to do what he did. And he came to a little church in Nottingham and a 17-year-old walked down the front and gave his life to Jesus. That's me. And probably the people who were, were giving to that, they probably have no idea. I don't think anyone would have any clue that this 17-year-old responded that day. And, and here he is. And over the last 30 years, I, I, hundreds and hundreds of lives have been impacted by this life, by the grace of God. One of the young guys that I used to mentor is now the senior pastor of Westminster Chapel in London. And, and having an impact in an incredibly significant church and part of our nation. It's seed. No one would know. And here, by the grace of God, as we share and as we minister, some lives are going to be touched and impacted from this congregation and are being and have been that will go on to be kingdom bringers. You, you should, our prayers that you should and will be kingdom bringers where you are. And as your lives shine for him, other lives get transformed and their lives get transformed. And, and who would ever know who invested 30 years ago the impact? Because this is the power of multiplication. This is how the kingdom works. It's so incredible, and I, I'm sure no one would have any idea, and yet I just wonder if on that day when the books are opened, there is one who will say, I don't know if you remember, but I think you might like to have a look what that did. Let me show you. We'll go, wow! Some of you might wonder what goes on here, and we've put a little presentation together for you to, to see and, and get a little window into this. Lord, we thank you for the journey of faith of bringing us to this place. Thank you for the faithfulness of the generations that have gone before. And we pray, would you help us on our watch, Lord, to, to honor you in such an incredible way, Lord, that, that this would be a, a hub and our house of salvation and of influence and impact for the honor of your name. Let us be the kind of expression of church that you had in your heart before the foundation of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Fourthly, if we're going to get giving right, we have to overcome the spirit of mammon. I'm not going to take long here today, and if you'd like to understand more about this, then last year I, I spoke at more length on this subject, really significant uh, Matthew 6, where we've just been, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, but treasure in heaven. Jesus goes on to say this, immediately after, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the NIV, the, the, the New King James, the King James uses the word mammon, no one can serve two masters, for either they'll hate the one and love the other, else they'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The, the Greek word is mammonus, and Jesus uses it only once. It appears here, it appears in the parallel 
account in Luke's gospel, but only once does he, is he recorded as using this word. But it comes from the Syrian god Mammon, which was the god of material things. And, and here's the understanding that it's more than stuff. There is a spiritual work over our lives. There is a spiritual battle and there is a spirit at work that promotes greed and drives to consume and, and will stir us up to want to have and also be insatiable in its nature, a bit like lust. If you, if you feed lust, it won't go away. It will only get stronger. So it is with the spirit of mammon. You see, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Money itself is not bad. Things are not bad. But the love of money, the Bible says, is a root of all kinds of evil. And Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. And I'm sure we can all relate to this. Sometimes uh, something can get under our skin. We might see something and we want it. We might, we might see something. It's almost like we must have it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It might be a bag or a pair of sneakers or a pair of shoes or a, or a car or something. And it can get under our skin and it's like we must have it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anyone ever experienced that kind of feeling? And what can happen is we, we become almost internally obsessed by this thing. And what is that? What, what even is that? Because even when we get that thing that became such a driver, we get it and we might be happy for a moment, but it will not satisfy us for long. And yet we can sense if we've ever experienced that there is something at work that is spiritual in its nature and it will try and have us. And Jesus comes here and says, you've got to be free. See, Jesus, I believe, I believe oh, honestly, let me, and I, I, everything I say, I say honestly. <laughs> so forgive me saying honestly, but I, I say it that you'd understand. I honestly believe Jesus' biggest driver is he wants us to be free. Yeah. He wants us to be free. Yeah. He came to set us free, and there are some things that will hold us. And here's the truth, that, that the biggest antidote to the spirit of mammon is, guess what? He's giving it's giving. Nothing will break that more. It disarms mammon over our lives. And it, it can be an area, if we're going to get giving right, that we have to deal with. Or we have to be willing to deal with. But finally, we have to overcome, if we're going to get giving right, the root of unbelief. The root of unbelief. Can we say that together? There's no doubt that our journey to truly get giving right as followers of Jesus will require faith. We looked at this last week in the principle of first things. The Lord has laid down his very life for us in order, we were singing about that today, to be in covenantal relationship with him. He is drawing us into dependency upon him, where he is calling us that everything we have is his, but everything that he has is ours. And he wants us to live in that place of dependency, but it will require faith. Some of you have heard something of our journey. It's been so wonderful and so scary at times. You know, it's so easy to, to tell the stories of faith afterwards, but when you're in them, it's a different, a different kettle of fish. When you're faced with the challenge, some of you have heard you know, when we'd not long been married and the Lord spoke to us, we, we, we literally, thank God we weren't in debt. We had 300 pounds in our bank. 
And the Lord spoke to us to give 10,000 pounds away over and above our tithes. It was a, to us at that time, it was a mind-blowing amount. It was a paradigm shift. But we knew God had spoken to us and we, we set off on our journey. And over 18 months, we managed to do it. We both got promoted at work and money came in and we pulled our budget back and we fulfilled it. But I tell you that to say, I know some of you have heard our story before, that in the two years that followed that, we got given from unsolicited sources 17,000 pounds. I mean, about 20 different, we totaled it up in the end because it was crazy. Now, I, we have never given to get, but it's like the Lord was showing us because it was so ridiculous. We just became money magnets. People just came, I feel the Lord spoken to me to give you this. I went, okay. <laughs> Thank you. We receive. You know, Esther's one of one of five sisters, and there was a lady in her dad's church growing up who, you know, she passed away and left 5,000 pounds to Esther, left a plate to one other sister and nothing to the other three. Like, how does that work? <laughs> we'll remove this from the podcast in case any of the other sisters are listening. <laughs> you know, so we, we don't know. What, what's that about? But it's like the Lord was saying to us, I wasn't after your money, I was after your heart. I want to show you, if you do what I ask you to do, I can provide for you. And he took us on a journey. And then most of that money that came in, he then spoke to us about giving it away. But we went on a journey of living by faith. But we had to uproot unbelief because within all of us, there can be a tendency we want to manage this for ourselves. I did a Bible study last year on the word amazed in the Gospels and It's interesting, Jesus, the Bible records as being amazed only twice. Firstly, he's amazed by the disciples' unbelief, and then he's amazed by the centurion's faith. Only two things amazed him, unbelief and faith. And I want my life, if I'm going to amaze him, and I I doubt I will, but if I'm going to amaze him, I want it to be my faith that amazes him, not my unbelief. Hello? I have to uproot unbelief. And interesting here, Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, treasure in heaven. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And now most of the Bibles we've seen, they're broken up. It's not broken up. Jesus, the next thing he says, verse 25, is therefore I tell you, don't worry. Hello? Why would he say that when he's talking about giving? Because most of us, Worry. So because it's difficult, he knows. He's challenging his followers. He says, you come after me, store up treasure in heaven. Don't let the spirit of mammon get a hold of you. And let me say this to you. Don't worry about your life. What is he saying? He's saying, trust me. Trust me on this journey. It will require faith. We have to uproot unbelief. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink about your body. I'm going to read the whole of this today. Just let it impact your spirit. What you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than they? Can anyone of you by worrying add a single cubit to his stature, sorry, I'm switching versions. I was reading NIV on the screen. It's New King James. Why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Let me say that again. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, trust me. He's still speaking about giving. He says, don't worry. Friends, we have to learn to trust him. We have an enemy that wants to keep us out from a place of faith and God is drawing us into a place of faith. If, if over these two weeks you've been challenged but you're wrestling because you don't know how it's going to work out, good! That's how it's meant to be. And if it's not, he'll bring you to a place as you grow where he stretches you so that he can prove himself to you. This is how it, it works. Lamar, why don't you come? Because I need to finish. And somehow I feel if you play, it might help me remember that we're near the end. <laughs> Last year was a fresh test for us, and let me finish with this. You see, we've gone on a journey, as many of you have, around our, our, our vision offerings. The first time we had a, a vision offering in 2016, we felt the Lord speak to us about, about pledging a five-figure sum. And some of you know that. It was so beyond what we could do. And yet, we stepped out in faith, and the Lord provided for us, and we were able to do it. And then at the, at the end of that, we, we had an incredible miracle that we shared with some of you, which manifested in a, a, a crazy experience of being able to travel as a family. And then as we came around again, 2017, the Lord challenged us to, to go beyond our, our first pledge. And didn't know how on earth we were going to do it, but we, we pledged it in faith. And, and we stepped out because we're, we're trying to obey Him. And what happened was, we, we amazingly, income started to come outside of, of church salaries. And, and we, were, we were able to fulfill our pledge. And, and it was going really well through until about last summer. And then our family car that we had originally saved up to replace, but that money had gone into the first offering, it, it died. It had done 180,000 miles. It didn't owe us anything. But we had problems with the engine. We got it checked out. They said, look, your engine's going to die. In fact, it's going to pop sometime soon, and you won't be able to drive it again. It'd be about 2,000 pounds to repair. It was worth a few hundred quid. It wasn't worth it. So we keep driving it. We say, well, we had 4,000 pounds still to give. And it's August. We've got to get to October. We're like, Lord, if any money comes in, Lord, what are we going to do? And we said, Lord, we're going to honor our faith pledge. We're going to trust you for a car. And amazingly, money came in and we were able to fulfill our pledge. In October, we finished our pledge as we came around to the next vision offering. But we also took our car to the scrapyard. Because well, what had happened in that time is it had started to billow black smoke. It was the least environmentally friendly. I mean, I felt, I was so glad I didn't have a fish on the back. I was like, such a terrible, terrible witness. And it literally reached a point where, where it wouldn't go beyond uh, 10 miles an hour for the first two minutes. And I said to Esther, we've, yeah, I said, we've got to drive this to the scrapyard while we can still drive it. And we drove it to the scrapyard. Interestingly, what had happened is I got a friend who isn't part of this church. And I knew he, he had more money than I did. And he knew about this situation. And he kept texting me, how's the car? How's the car? He took a real interest. He's a Christian friend. And on the Saturday that we took the car to the scrapyard, on the Tuesday before, he texted me out of the blue and said, what's your postal address? And, and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, Lord, you're going you're gonna to help us here. 
That was on the Tuesday. Wednesday, nothing came. Thursday, Friday, nothing came. Saturday, we drove to the scrapyard. We've got another little banger that we used as a second car, and Esther came to pick me up. We drove back in our banger, and I'm praying, and I got home, and on the doormat was, a, was something from my friend, and it had his name on, on the back. And I opened it up, and it was a book that we'd lent him, and he was returning it to us. And I... And I've got to be honest, I, I shook it in case there was a check. I was like, Lord, you know, Lord, where is it? He's forgotten to put it in. If you're listening, Rich, I love you with all my heart. And so I was a bit disappointed. And I went up, I got a little room where I, where I study and, and I knelt down. And I said, Lord, that would have been such a great testimony. That's what I said. That's what I said. I said, Lord, that would have been such a great testimony to share with the congregation. All the Lord said to me, he said, this is a great testimony. Because you've been faithful and I'll be faithful. And so we rattled around in our little banger for a bit and we were able to borrow a car. And it didn't play out quite how I expected it to for a little while. But do you know what? In that time, the Lord did something really good in my heart. He tested me. He proved me. Because his ways are higher than my ways. And actually, it's not about giving to get. It's, it's been on a journey of faith. And, and sometimes his agenda is different to our agenda. And actually, he was doing something. He did something in my heart in that period of time. I arrived at some events in a form of transportation that was not fitting for the event in that period. And I've got to say, the Lord did something really good in me. It was really good. And then because God is no man's debtor, at the turn of the year, he provided. And we've got a wonderful family car because he's my father. But in the process, he did something in me. I encourage us, church, to be faithful and faith-filled. That we'll honor God and we'll allow him to fashion us in the trials and tests of life. And that we'll allow him to search our hearts and that we'll work towards getting giving right. And as we do that, something good will happen in us. Can we pray? I know there are some of you here and you know you need to get giving right. The Lord's been speaking to you. Maybe you have barriers to overcome. Maybe barriers of ownership or mistrust or perspective. Maybe the spirit of mammon has been too present in your life or maybe unbelief. And I wonder across this room if we could close our eyes in this moment and bow our heads because I respect this is holy ground and it's also very personal. But I'd love to pray for you and if in this moment you'd, you'd want to say, Will you pray for me in this area? Because I need to take ground. I need to step forward. And if that's you, I'm just going to simply ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to do any more than that. And I'm going to pray for you. But if you know you need to take a step forward in this area, just raise your hand now. It's great. It's great. Keep our eyes closed. Just keep your hand raised if it's, if it's raised and responding. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are doing a deep work in our hearts. I thank you, Lord, that, that you challenge us and you change us. And Lord, I pray 
that you would bring every one of us to complete freedom, that we would know the joy of obedience and we'd know the grace of giving and we'd know the beauty of your provision. I pray, Lord, you'd help every one of us that needs to overcome an obstacle or maybe many obstacles to do that and, and Lord, to be faithful before you and, and honorable before you in this area. I pray, Lord, we would see you as we trust you. We would experience you. We'd have our own stories to tell. Lord, because you have worked in our hearts and we proved you in our lives. I pray, Lord, provide seed for the sower. I pray, Lord, faith where there's been unbelief. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.